This is a Visual Audio Times production. Hello and welcome to Imole, your go-to mental health, wellness and spirituality podcast. I am your host, Palumi. Thank you for hitting play on this episode. Please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you stream your podcasts so you don't miss out on new episodes. Also, follow Imole on Instagram and Twitter at ImoleThePod. Before we start today's episode, I'd like for us to calm our nerves with a short meditation exercise. Follow the sound of my voice. Breathe in slowly. Breathe out slowly. Let's go on to today's episode. We are going to be discussing something that I find very interesting, which is um, antisocial personality disorder. Breaking it down for you will be sociopaths and psychopaths. So you know how they are portrayed as crazy people in movies, as serial killers, and I love serial killer movies. So I tend to be quite interested in what goes on in the minds of, in the minds of people who can, let me say, commit such atrocities and still be okay with themselves. All right. So to discuss this with me today is Baez Aliu. You might remember him from the episode on PTSD. He's back with us today and actually has a lot to say about this topic because he's an expert. Faiz is a psychologist and mental health expert in Abuja. He's currently leading operations at She Writes Woman, a non-profit focused on providing mental health support in Nigeria. So welcome, Faiz. Thank you very much for having me, Palomi. Good to be here again. Yes, lovely to have you here. Please, is there anything I missed in the introduction? Because I know you have a lot <laughs> of accolades. Is there anything you would like to share with the audience? I don't think you missed anything. Um, it's drama counseling psychologist, currently the COO of She Rights Women. We're a mental health and disability rights advocacy organization, survey a community of 40,000 people providing health care and resources and advocating along with our partners at the World Health Organization and Human Rights Watch for legal reform regarding the rights of people living with disabilities. Um, I've worked in both uh, internet with uh, in sorry I've worked uh, as a expert in the matter of inclusive education and social welfare, uh, creating a body of programs with different international development agencies, um, the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Oxfam. I'm a consulting partner for the Innovation Hub ecosystem here in Nigeria. Um, I've worked as a consultant for PwC in Japan and as a trauma counselor for the International Refugee Council. Um, this year, I've been focusing a lot on professional training on mental health, compliance training, and workplace ethics. Uh, most recently, training for Dro Health Services and the Nigerian Police Force. Oh, wow. 
guys, you know, I only bring you the best. <laughs> I've I've heard some of that before, but every single time I hear it, I'm always impressed. They're quite impressive. So going into today's topic. Right. Um, so people use the terms both psychopath and sociopath interchangeably. Um, mostly they use it to describe people who are considered to be without a uh, working conscience. Um, these definitions revolve around how these people would approach anger, violence, hatred, or general emotionlessness. Um, I think, like you mentioned earlier, the terms have kind of been uh, overwrought in the way they're used, mostly in uh, TV dramas and serials about uh, uh, serial killers and podcasts and such. But the truth is that both psychopathy and sociopathy are mental health conditions that are subsumed under something we know as ASPD or antisocial personality disorder. So they have very similar traits such that, you know, it's defined by a pattern of socially irresponsible, exploitative or guiltless behavior, um, a failure to sustain um, personal uh, relationships, failure to develop stable relationships, manipulating others, um, not being able to sustain employment for a long period of time. These are all commonalities between the two. But I think the easiest way for you to distinguish them, to put it very simply, psychopaths are born, sociopaths are made. Sociopaths are people who are made into, um, or who behave in certain ways because of the environment, as in the result of the environment in which they grew up. Um, and psychopaths are people who are born with a certain level of um, discrepancy in their neural pathways. So they don't necessarily recognize human emotion the same way you or I would. Um, I think that's the chief difference, although there are several others. Um, I think the main difference besides that would be that sociopaths are capable of feeling guilt. They are capable of understanding why an action is wrong or being remorseful. They've just reached a point where they're able to push that guilt to the background so that it doesn't bother them as much. A psychopath actually doesn't feel any of these emotions. They don't understand guilt. They don't have remorse. And they don't see, they don't see any of their actions necessarily as a negative. Um, there is the uh, there is research that shows that psychopaths are even unable to really distinguish between different human emotions. I think there was um, earlier research that I can remember sometime in 2012 where a group of people were asked to draw emojis, you know, laughing emoji, a sad emoji, an angry emoji, and it turned out that the people with psychopathic traits were unable to distinguish between all these different emotions. All the emojis came out looking almost exactly the same, or at least with very slight variations. So I think those are the chief differences, both the fact that um, sociopaths are made um, rather than born, and the fact that sociopaths actually have a certain level of remorse um, regarding the actions that they take up. 
Yes. You know, when we were speaking earlier, this was privately, you said something about Nigeria or like our Nigerian society actually breeding sociopaths. And the reason why I'm asking is because you see a lot of people in positions of power. And this includes like, I mean, when I say positions of power, I mean, politicians, I mean, bosses at work, religious leaders, just people exceeding certain types of behavior and acting like they have no remorse for the people that they are dealing with, people who are under their, or people who submit themselves to them. Will you agree with this? I think an argument that I've often made is that the vast, well, let me not say the vast majority, but a sizable uh, percentage of the population exhibits what would be considered sociopathic traits. And this is a result of the environment in which they've grown up in. Um, Let's take a simple example of uh, why it is, it's something that's that's very common in the society, Uh, the inability of people to simply admit fault, simply admit that they're wrong over something and apologize for it once it's done. Now that is actually a cultural trait. It's a cultural trait that comes about because in our culture, Nigerian culture, this is regardless of region or religion, um, respect and accountability are only tied to age or position. They have nothing to do with um, just how well somebody is treating you or just how well they're able to carry out the duties that they're entrusted with. So that goes with everything from parents to teachers to politicians to something as simple as, you know, security guard. As soon as people have some level of authority, a modicum of authority over you, they're in a position where they're willing to or conditioned to, should I say, abuse it. And that's simply because we don't understand responsibility in this country in terms of being accountable to the people who are under you. We understand it in terms of having impunity over these people. And that's a very sociopathic trait, really. It has less to do because sociopaths don't understand responsibility. Having responsibility towards someone would mean that you have some sort of stable relationship. You have a working conscience. You have the ability to decipher not just right and wrong, but why right or wrong is important between human relationships. But what we've done in our society is that we have no buffer between the people who hold authority and the people who are under them. So if you were to do something wrong in a position of power, uh, and a good example that I always use is people who have religious authority, right? whether that's people in the churches, um, pastors, or that's people in mosques and imams, one of the things that's very easy for them to do is to get away with behavior that we would otherwise consider problematic. And I think um, we take, for example, the Catholic Church and the scandal that has enveloped the Catholic Church over the past couple of decades, really, Those issues are very easy to come by in an organization such as the Catholic Church simply because there is a culture of secrecy 
and a convention of pardoning even the most egregious wrongs, such that a person who has done something which would normally be considered quite terrible isn't called out for it, isn't punished for it, and is given a level of authority over the people who are under him, the people who he has hurt. That just allows for sociopathic tendencies to continue to fester because there's nothing to basically create a buffer between who this person is and who the people under him are. Uh, it's the same reason why you will find misogynistic uh, ideas or tendencies are very common between, uh, sorry, within imams in several mosques because the the level of respect, the level of uh, accountability given to these people um, is such that they aren't questioned when they have a certain idea. And so it becomes very easy for these sort of uh, misogynistic views to spread simply because there's nobody to question them. There's nobody to um, bring them to order. And so religious institutions have this uh, unfortunate quality of attracting people with sociopathic tendencies or narcissistic tendencies towards them because the culture created in these institutions is one where power isn't questioned. And so it happens again and again and again that social uh, sociopathic traits continue to fester within these individuals because there's no one questioning them. And again, it's not just religious institutions. It's exactly what happens in governing institutions, whether that's the civil service, whether that's university lecturers, um, whether that's local government chairmen and the people that are under them. Sometimes that's what happens within individual households, parents and their children. And it's simply because we come from a society that is not particularly law abiding, abiding or doesn't have very strong laws. Um, and so without these sort of buffers between um, what is right and what is considered um, what is considered acceptable, um, you continue to have sociopathic traits fester within society. And it becomes very difficult to decipher not just right from wrong, but right from easy. I think that's something that... Uh, uh, needs to be considered all the time, the difference between what is right and what is easy. And what is easy when people have power is to do what they want. What is right is being responsible. And the sociopath is never going to check what is right. Hmm. I'm glad you said what is right from what is easy, because most times what is so easy to do is not always right. And sometimes the right thing is probably easy. And because we've been conditioned not to see that way, we don't take advantage of the opportunity. So there's an interesting perception exactly. that sociopaths and psychopaths are evil people or bad people. And I know you said some people are born psychopaths. So technically it's not their fault if you see it that way. But then for sociopaths right. as well. Okay. Society makes them like that. And they were also born into certain societies. I have an argument that if some people were born elsewhere, they won't end up the way they ended up. And I think that's very true. So will you say these people are, are bad people? I know being, being a psychologist, you probably wouldn't want to put a blanket statement in them. Right. I think it's very uh, important to point out that psychopathy and sociopathy are not necessarily indicative of one being 
um, evil or aggressive or problematic individuals. Um, I do think that um, it's very easy, again, because of how the media has portrayed it, to put them in that position or put them in that sort of category where they're simply seen as being um, evil and antisocial. But the truth is many people, uh, despite this popular perception, many people who do have sociopathic traits or do have psychopathic traits live successfully among the rest of us using these particular traits to get what they want in life, sometimes at the expense of others, sometimes not so much. Um, so I think that's something that, that needs to be kept in mind. Psychopathic individuals are more likely than other people to commit crimes, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are criminal in nature or that they um, look for these traits, that we, uh, these things that we consider negative in order to live their lives. Hmm. You said they live amongst us. And personally, my own theory is a lot of CEOs, and this is not just in Nigeria, I mean, in general, a lot of people that are able to rise to the top of the social ladder and build certain companies, a lot of them, in my opinion, have psychopathic or sociopathic traits. Because in certain industries, you have to have this dog-eat-dog mentality and I'll do whatever it takes to get to the top. And most times you step on people's toes and not just step on their toes like to annoy them. You do things that are very, very unfair. Like look at how, I don't want to name any companies, but if people should just look on the news, there are certain companies that have very, very successful CEOs on Forbes list, not in this country. And um, most of them, they complain about the laws or the rules in their company. And I'm not saying that the CEOs are directly responsible for this because these are like very, very large companies. But if you find out more about them, you realize that in some way, shape or form, they have treated people unfairly or they're just prone to doing things that don't really seem mentally healthy for the average human being, like number of hours they work. And I'm not trying to encourage laziness or anything, but I just feel like some people are wired in a certain way and it's just not easy to reprogram themselves. Like they're just not like the rest of us. Is it safe to say that? that there, There has been research that speculates that people with pronounced psychopathic traits may be found disproportionately represented in certain professional areas, politics, business, law enforcement, uh, military operations. Um, now, most of, peop- most of these people, mind you, they aren't necessarily classic psychopaths, but they do have psychopathic traits, and these traits exhibit themselves um, in the same way that they would uh, with people who would be considered psychopaths. So something like charisma, social poise, audacity, um, emotional resilience, it leads them to have a performance edge over the rest of us when it comes to, you know, all of these high stake, powerful settings. Um, There's a certain level of boldness, you know, a certain level of physical risk taking or emotional resilience that's well represented in psychopathy measures. Now, these people use these particular traits to uh, succeed, basically, um, in, their, in their particular possession, uh, professions, whether that's law enforcement or firefighting or dangerous sports. Um, there's a certain level of resilience that engenders 
a lack of emotional empathy um, that all of these people seem to exhibit, sometimes from time to time, sometimes more continuously. And it allows them, in the case of CEOs that you mentioned, to basically put a buffer between, put a wall between how they feel about the actions that they take and the results of those actions. It's not that they don't understand what they're doing or they don't understand it's wrong. They just don't care simply because they know that at the end of the day, they're going to get a certain result. Um, and I think uh, to a certain extent, you also have to uh, you also have to look at the nature versus nurture argument because these people have these particular traits, but then the environment also encourages it. So if you're, you know, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company anywhere in the world, and um, one of the things that you do in order to help your company increase profits and cut back on waste is to fire several thousands of employees, even though your company does have the ability to take on those employees, but you fire those employees who are now not just without work, but are in very difficult conditions and you're rewarded for it. At the end of the day, um, the, the board decides to award you with an end of year bonus in the millions of dollars or in the millions of Naira or wherever it is you are. So that sort of psychopathic behavior where you're causing traumatic, um, uh, traumatic, at least emotional injury um, to several people is rewarded because of the high stakes that you're in. Uh, now, in certain areas, for example, let's say in medicine, um, psychopathic traits do come in handy for surgeons, for example. Um, if you have a certain level of emotional resilience where you're not particularly worried about the the social conditions of your patients, a certain level of callousness, a certain level of meticulousness that's usually found in, psychopath in psychopaths can be seen in people who um, operate in the medical field because they have to have this very clinical view of what it is they need to do uh, without regard to um, what it is their patient uh, particularly feels or how difficult the procedure might be. Um, so it, it, it depends, really. There are very few people. Uh, I think it's important to note that uh, psychopaths, generally speaking, uh, only form 1% of the human population altogether. Um, so um, while there may be people who exhibit psychopathic traits, and those traits might help them or harm them in one way or the other, the vast majority of people aren't necessarily defined as pure psychopaths. Those are very rare conditions, and finding them is very rare itself. Yes. So from what you said, I think there is a balance. I like to believe there's a balance in everything. So some psychopathic traits, I wouldn't necessarily say they're good, but if you are working towards something, then maybe they can come in handy for you. But I just really want us as a collective to get to a point whereby we consider the feelings and emotions of other people. Now, some people will hear that and be like, oh, that's so corny. You just can't do that in life. Well, true, but I feel like human consciousness is eventually going to evolve and it's coming. It's coming right now because now all over the world, we're seeing people who are just so much more concerned about their mental health and well-being and also on, in how they treat people. So 
I guess I'm hoping that the next couple of years, even in our society, we begin to unravel a lot of, a lot of things that are psychopathic, especially when it comes to relationships with, between parents and children. And the reason why I'm saying that is because that's the first stage. Like once you start abusing a child, like it's hard for you to go back because that's when they're just a clean slate. Like those are the formative years of a human being. So I'm just very, very passionate about that. Also, I wanted you to please explain what it's like to be in a romantic relationship with a psychopath or, or sociopath. I think sociopaths are more common. Sociopaths are more common. And I would say that sociopathic individuals have traits that are very easy to uh, very easy to identify. So a sociopathic individual is somebody who finds it very difficult to maintain a stable relationship. Um, they're usually very, you know, they're very hard to, they're very hard to reason with. They're very hard to kind of find in a very healthy space. So usually they're people who are going to have, uh, large outbursts of anger, or they're going to react in very volatile ways to either what would what you would consider like particularly very simple issues would be blown out of proportion for them. So those individuals that we would consider have toxic traits. I think that's the term that people use these days. They have toxic traits. Toxic traits such as continuously criticizing your partner, always blaming them for one issue over the other being emotionally unavailable yet expecting so much from your same partner. All of these things are traits that a sociopath would exhibit, and they're usually very easy to identify. Now, a psychopath, on the other hand, is somebody who generally doesn't have these emotions and generally doesn't understand them very well. In a situation like that, it would be really difficult to identify um, exactly what it is um, this person is thinking. Um, the issue arises, I think, when a person can't control their aggressive or narcissistic traits. And for most psychopaths or for people with um, psychopathic tendencies, um, they have a very high level of personal control, which really goes to uh, which really only exists because they have uh, very limited emotions or don't really understand human emotion. The ones who are able to form normal relationships or at least mimic normal relationships um, do so rather successfully. I think it's difficult for people who have psychopathic traits um, to fall into an issue where they are they are often seen for exactly who they are because usually these people are very good at hiding exactly what it is these uh, their issues are and so it's difficult for you to ascertain okay this person actually loves me for me or this person is actually in love with me in the first place it's hard to guess because even the person uh, that is the psychopath making these sort of claims isn't showing their hand um, so I think, like I said, um, psychopaths are very, very rare. And also finding one who has true psychopathic tendencies versus somebody who has psychopathic traits is actually very rare. 
So you're more likely to come across a sociopath in the first place. And those can be very volatile. So it's usually very easy to identify them. Mm. So is it safe to say, or is it right to say that most narcissists are sociopaths or display sociopathic behavior? I think narcissistic personality disorder is actually an entirely different diagnosis because narcissists have a sense of entitlement. There's arrogance and self-importance. They consider themselves to be special. Um, They take advantage of others, um, just like sociopaths do, need for admiration. Um, They lack empathy, um, just like sociopaths do, but they're also obsessed with this fantasy of um, adoration or boundless power. So uh, it's important to understand that a narcissist is somebody who has a very fragile, very damaged ego. And so it's, I know it, it usually comes, it's, it's something that confuses people because a narcissist also always pre- presents themselves as somebody who is very grandiose, somebody who thinks very highly of themselves. But in reality, they're people who have very, very low self-esteem. And that self-esteem is so low, it's so damaged that the only way they can protect themselves from feeling so empty is to project a sense of importance to other people. I'm not sure that there is much of a correlation between somebody being a narcissist and being a sociopath because they're actually very different conditions, although there are some overlapping traits. Um, A narcissist might never actually act violently. They might never actually hurt somebody um, in physical or even verbal terms. Um, It has more to do with how they feel about themselves rather rather than how they feel about anyone else. Um, And this personality disorder is not necessarily curable. But there are a wide range of outcomes for people who who do have this condition, and there are ways to cope with it. Um, I think that's that's what's important to remember, regardless of what condition we're talking about, whether it's ASPD or narcissistic personality disorder. Um, there is a way to cope. There is a way for people to live healthy lives, even if they do have these particular disorders. Um, it's not a death sentence in any way, shape, or form. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Thank you for clearing that up. So I just wanted to ask for people who want to raise kids or just let me just ask this in general. Is it possible for you to identify certain traits that could make a child grow up to be a sociopath? Because I was watching this YouTube video time ago and this lady said she's a sociopath. Like she it's actually her channel. And she came out to be like, yes, she's a sociopath. And she said Growing up, she was sick. So she always got a lot of attention because her parents paid attention to her. She was a sick child. So it felt like the world revolved around her. So growing up, she also felt like she developed sociopathic traits. And she has a therapist, or I think she has been diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. So she actually knows what she's saying. She's not just making, you know what I mean, just a general statement for the, for the sake of it. Will you agree to this? I think it is possible, of course. Like I said earlier, sociopaths are made. And she just gave a very good example of um, how exactly her sociopathic uh, traits came to be. 
um, because she was growing up with a certain illness, she got a lot of attention, she got a lot of care, she got a lot of thought put into everything that has to do with her. As she got better, that probably receded somewhat. Um, but because she was so young and she had developed around that level of nurture, that level of care, that level of attention, when she didn't have it, it became a problem. It became an issue whereby she would probably need to do anything, practically anything, to feel that level of um, attention um, given to her again. And that can develop into sociopathic uh, sociopathic traits or sociopathic tendencies. So that's an example of raising a child in such a way that is actually harmful long-term, even though, of course, you have to give the parents a little bit of leeway, understanding that their child was sick. Um, it's also important to consider that even if um, your child is raised in a certain way, your parenting style is not the only determinant in how they develop. Um, there is also the environment in which they grow up. There is also the people who are around them, that is the friends and the teachers and the neighborhood in which they grow up in. Uh, the, the different th behaviors that they learn, all of these can influence exactly how it is they grow and how it is they develop from childhood. So although your parenting style is supremely important, um, there is a lot to consider. Um, when it comes to raising a child and making sure that these traits don't develop over a long period of time. Um, that's to do with sociopathy. Um, now, when it comes to psychopathy, again, only 1% of the population can confidently be diagnosed with psychopathy. Um, and it's something that can be determined with a brain scan, actually, because there are striking differences between the brains of people with um, psychopathic uh, personality disorder and people who have what we call neurotypical brain scans. Those are brain scans that are normal. Um, those regions of the brain which control behavior and aggression look very different uh, in psychopaths. Um, so there is a genetic component, component to psychopathy. And uh, while someone with a child with antisocial, antisocial personality disorder isn't guaranteed to develop the condition. They're just statistically more likely to do so than the average person. Oh, that's quite interesting. So you say there is a way it can be treated, like someone can be completely cured of being a sociopath or psychopath. Yeah, like I said, um, personality disorders are not curable. But um, although treating it is difficult, it is valuable. People with antisocial personality disorder can tend toward illegal or risky behavior, but most don't take that path in the first place and they go on to live successful professional lives. Um, just like with many mental health concerns, ASPD is often accompanied by uh, co-occurring disorders such as depression or substance abuse. So it's important for a person with ASPD to continue treatment for any of these conditions that they have. I don't think there's what we would call a gold standard treatment for people with ASPD. Um, psychotherapy is uh, what can yield the best behavior results. Um, but there's still research ongoing 
it is important to it is important to note that it's really not something that can be cured 100%. It's a condition that has to be managed. Um, can be managed by showing support, keeping healthy boundaries, encouraging these people to seek treatment. Um, professional help is always available. And I think the first um, step in getting treatment for a lot of these people or for a lot of these people getting treatment for themselves is recognizing that the behavior they exhibit is problematic. Once there is that realization and they're able to come forward knowing that, okay, I'm not behaving in a way that should be considered normal. Um, I'm not behaving in a way that is particularly healthy. Um, once there is that realization and they're willing to come forward with it and seek professional help, um, then the possibility of their living happy, healthy, normal lives um, increases dramatically. Mm. But I guess the main thing is, is that it's going to be hard for someone who has antisocial personality disorder to actually, especially someone who's a psychopath, to actually be like, oh, maybe there is something wrong with me. Maybe I need to get help. Don't you think? You'd be surprised, actually. You'd be surprised, especially with the with sociopaths, because sociopaths live in an environment where their behaviors are mirrored by everyone else around them, or they're environment is the cause of their particular behavioral traits. So it's harder in, a, in that sense to identify exactly what the problem is. But with a psychopath, um, a psychopath, has, because their level of emotional attachment is much, much lower than the average person, they have to rely much more on their rational brain. And they're able to have a more detached a view of their environment and their actions. And therefore, for a lot of them, I know at least three, two people with psychopathic traits um, that have come forward and that were actively seeking help for their condition. Um, it's much easier for them actually to be able to identify exactly what the issue is because they would be acting in a certain way and the rest of the world would see it as abnormal versus a sociopath who would act in a certain way and the rest of the world already has a way to identify it or already encourages it in one form or the other. So you'd be surprised, actually, the psychopaths who um, are more likely to come forward than the sociopaths. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense now that you've explained it. But what will you, okay, what advice will you give to someone who is in a romantic relationship with a sociopath, because sociopaths are more common, like you said. Get out. <laughs> Run Leave the relationship as soon as, you can, as soon as you can, not because the person is necessarily evil or um, not because they're necessarily a bad person, but they need help. They need to be able to learn how to communicate, learn how to react, learn how to function um, in ways that are healthy, not just for you, but also for themselves. Um, a sociopath is somebody who has spent a very long amount of time um, being in conditions that are terribly unhealthy for anyone at all. And they've, in order to cope with that situation, they've developed certain personality traits um, that are destructive. Uh, 
continuing to be in a relationship with people who exhibit these traits means that you become a victim of that destruction. And you don't need to go down that road. Um, it's much better both for your health and for the person involved to seek help. Either they're able to seek help through you, um, either they're able to seek help on their own, or maybe even in a group setting. But finding a professional support um, for people who have these sort of uh, tendencies and being able to keep healthy boundaries with them is very paramount, not just for their well-being, but for yours as well. Hmm. That's very true. And I know it's harder for people in our society to actually take this advice because I know someone personally who, for the longest time I said, okay, this person is a narcissist, like learning about narcissism. But a lot of what you said about sociopathic traits, it actually makes a lot of sense because this person also has been a victim of a lot of people maybe picking on him and just even trying to, how do I say it? Um, make him like a criminal for doing the right thing. And this is someone I know personally, so I'm not just making blanket statements. And I feel like now that he's much older in his 60s, it has become very, very hard to even be around him. And this is like for his friends, not friends, but like family members, like his wife and his kids, and even people who work with him to just be able to be around him. So then the, the thing I thought was, oh yeah, this is a malignant narcissist. But now that you're talking about sociopathy, he does exhibit a lot of like, excuse me, sociopathic traits. And this is not someone that I think is ever going to get help because left to him, he doesn't think there's anything wrong with him. Like he spends time picking out the issues on other people. And because he also went through a stage of his life whereby he was being affected, he had like financial issues, which weren't necessarily his fault. It's just like, the economy in general and he had financial issues so now it just feels like oh you're looking down on me because I have issues in my finances when I had more money you wouldn't have been able to talk to me like this but the truth of the matter is you were always kind of and I'm saying you as in him he was always kind of unbearable but I feel like I don't know maybe it was because he had more money or he was more in a position of power he kind of just rode on that to get his way with everything and everyone tolerated it and now that he's older it has become 10 times worse I think it's because he feels like more of an empty shell because things are not going well for him so it's been very hard like for someone like that is it's practically impossible to get him to get help because if you say I think you need help, blah, blah, then you're in trouble. Because I remember one of his friends, this is his actual friend, and another man like him was like, oh, I can't tell him to go to therapy because you know how that would be. So in those situations, how can someone not feel guilty for leaving the sociopath behind? Whether it's your, whether the person is your parent or a loved one, husband, or um, just even boss, like how can someone just not feel guilty for leaving that situation? Guilt is a result of your inability to perform, perform a certain task or give a certain amount of emotional, um, emotional labor in a way that you think helps the situation. Now, what is very important to understand about situations like this um, when it comes to dealing with sociopaths or people with sociopathic tendencies is that you're not responsible for the way they turn out. You're not responsible for the way they behave. You're not responsible for the way they react. 
the only thing that you can do, the only thing that you should be expected to do, not just on a personal level, but on a societal level, is offer support. Whether that support is professional or whether that support is personal as much as you possibly can, while maintaining healthy boundaries, all you can do is offer support. So just like your friend who was talking about, ah, he's not sure he wants to um, offer or suggest therapy because he knows that's going to be a fight. This, the, good, the, the, the best thing to do really would still be to offer it. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, verbally, hey, I think you need to, I think you need to see a therapist. There are other ways to go about it. Uh, there are several suggestions that can be made. There are um, emails that can be sent. There are different ways that you could go about it. But you see, the main issue here is the perception that people have about mental health disorders and mental health conditions across society. Because mental health isn't given the uh, due attention that it needs, the perception of a lot of people when you say that they need a therapist or that they need help or that they need professional guidance is that there's something um, broken within you or that there's something wrong with you or that you have a certain um, level of, I think the word people use is insanity. And everyone's afraid of that. Everyone's afraid of that perception. Everyone's afraid of being told that you know, they're not in their right state of mind. And so rather than making it easy for people to come forward, we've created a situation where mental health is seen not as a normal condition, a normal um, state which people enter from time to time, because the reality is whether it's a sociopathic tendency or an anxiety disorder or um some level of depression, the vast majority of adults, 92% of adults, will at one point in their lifetime suffer from some sort of mental health issue. And so making mental health or normalizing conversations around mental health is what is important here. That's what needs to change, really, so that nobody feels as though being told that they have a condition or being told that they have an issue is stigmatizing. Uh, the goal would be to one day live in a society or create a society, hopefully, whereby being told or being diagnosed with a mental health condition is as normal as being diagnosed with anything from the common cold to malaria. It's like if you had an issue with your physical body, you'd go see a doctor. So if you have an issue with your mind, you go see a therapist. Should really be that cut and dry. I agree. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I feel like the stigma behind mental health is what makes it seem like, oh my God, you're trying to tell me I need a therapist. How dare you? It's a lot worse than telling people, oh, you have a toothache. Why not go see a dentist? I mean, people are more likely to take that in a very, oh yeah, I mean, that's the right thing to do. Go see a dentist. But when they're dealing with things in their lives, whether it's a loss of some sorts or just issues with their self-esteem, you should always be able to tell people, Go and see a therapist. And like you said, I really wish our society, and I know it's going to happen. It might probably take longer than we'd like, but it will happen with time. And I think the biggest thing that we just need is exposure. So having things like this, having a podcast that I love people can listen to, just spreading the word out there is going to make people take these things a lot more seriously. 
So once again, thank you so much for your time and being able to break this down for us. And um, thank you listeners as well for listening. We'll be back with more fantastic episodes. So thank you, Fais. Thank you for listening to this episode of Imole. Please make sure you rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your episodes. You can also send me emails about today's episode or anything related to mental health and spirituality through fanmail at imolethepod.com. Finally, please subscribe to the Imole newsletter to learn more about our episodes through the link in the episode notes. Thank you and see you on the next episode. This episode was produced by Aisha Salaudin, audio mixed by Lord Phil, and is distributed by Visual Audio Times. For more podcasts, visit visualaudiotimes.com.